The True Tone Lounge podcast features audio-only versions of our video interviews. To view those, please visit truetonelounge.com or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash truetonefx. So uh, after the wheel, at some point you ended up uh, marrying Roseanne. I did. Yeah, not too long after that. Yeah. And continued to, uh, let's see, there were rules of travel. Yeah. We had a, is that the record? We had the tune with John on there. I think we wrote this song for him. Yeah. September When It Comes. Yeah. Sad song. Yeah. And then uh, the album after that, Black Cadillac. Black Cadillac. Yeah. And that was, was that, was that done after? After the, the passing of John? That was Roseanne's way, in part, her creative way of dealing with the passing of both her parents, because both her parents right. died in a very short period of time. It was a very challenging period for her. Um, and that was her way of getting it out there in the artistic way, and the artist, kind of like the artist she is. And then the list came out. Yeah. yeah. That was kind of my idea. Yeah. She didn't go kicking and screaming into it, but she I think she was a little bit resistant to doing it. Yeah. Um, because the, the list is a is a yeah, like, it's yeah, a, like it's a covers. list. Yeah. I just uh you know, uh this will take us out of guitar world into sort of the complex world of record making and record production. I don't know, long, around that time I just started thinking like, you know, there's a kind of template to what people tend to do, particularly singer-songwriters, which is okay, it's time to make a record and let's record my next 12 songs. I call it the next 12. And um, mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that, particularly if they're great songs and they're really well produced and stuff. There's nothing wrong with it. But uh, I don't know. I just thought, well, it would be fun to do a record that had sort of a theme or a concept to it. And it was almost like given to us. I think Roseanne has always been resistant to exploit or to appear to be exploiting her father's legacy. It's been a very, she walks a fine line of loving and admiring her dad and certainly as an artist, uh, but she's very conscious of not wanting to exploit it, you know, because she's worked really hard. You know, he cast a long shadow. My wife has had to step out of that shadow and I think it would be a super challenge for anybody. I think she's done it with an incredible amount of dignity and humanity as kind of one of the more impressive things about her. Um, but we had this list and I was like, I had a, always had a thing with Roseanne that I always kind of thought of her as kind of like a modern Bobby Gentry. You know, I loved Bobby Gentry. Who doesn't love Bobby Absolutely. Gentry? Absolutely. Right, right. And um, she just had that a little yelp in her voice that wasn't like the cunt Nashville twang, but it had that more of that Patsy Bobby Gentry kind of thing. I love it. And, and I always, always wanted to make a record on her as a singer. You know, she was, she sort of self-identifies as a songwriter before a singer. And, uh, and uh, I just really had to convince her. I said, no, let me just make a classic old time record where you're the singer. Let me write the arrangements, do it. And you just come in and be a great singer, like in the classic way that it was done, like in the 50s and 60s. And she was kind enough to sort of go with it. And she did it. I think she sounds great. You know, the, the caveat, which is on a lot of my records is, I just didn't want to copy anything. I just wanted to find new ways of doing it that, that wasn't self-consciously just trying to be quirky just for the sake of being quirky. You know, there's this little path that I'm trying to take because I don't want to regurgitate cliches. I think that's a mistake that people do when they try to do older covers. And the other mistake is like, I hate it when people do 
like they just go out of their way to deconstruct it and make it postmodern and weird. I mean, sometimes that can work, I guess. The bottom line is how do you actually live and thrive in the idiom that you're trying to do, but you're not just regurgitating what other people have done. So I don't know if I did it or not, but that's certainly what I try to do. And so that's what we, we just try to reimagine those tunes yeah. so that they have some real heart and feeling to yeah. them. And, and you know, it, uh, it really, uh, Roseanne's career has been slow. People really loved it. You know, I think it brought some of those tunes that some of them, even that they've probably been heard and covered to death, you know, gave them a little more life, which is nice. And in some kind of way led to her next record, the river and the thread. Yeah. It's like, well, that was cool. Let's now let's write this. Let's do a record with a theme, but let's write it ourselves. You right. Know? Sort of inspired by the idea that, you know, really great music was great in 1949, it was great in 1957, great in 1968, great in 1975. And, you know, that these things, you know, if you really, you know, it's a goal to aim for that there's an element of timelessness to it. You can't always get it. And I don't flatter myself to say that I've done it all the time, but it's a thing that I'm always thinking of. I hate the idea if you listen to, if I listen to an old record of mine and go, oh God, that's so 1991, I feel like I failed. Whereas if I listen to a record and feel like that could be any time, I feel like I've done a good job. You know? Well, back on the, on the list, just what are some of the, the kind of the mechanics that went into trying to reimagine these songs that like you said, some of them have been covered many times, like uh, like Silver Wings. Yeah, you know, how, you know, a song that that's probably every you know country band has right. played over and over again, and and yet y'all did a you know fantastic job of kind of reimagining it. Yeah, well, this will be yeah. an insight into my twisted brain. Yeah. So there's lots of strategies for me to do it. I think this is where being a songwriter helps. Because in a way, it's like songwriting again, but you're really arranging. It's like you're taking, you know, if you really, uh, I read a really great book by Nelson Riddle once. Like, I, I, I mean, I inhale music. So let's start there. Okay. I, I inhale music. Okay. I love music. I, I, I'm really drawn to musicality. I don't, the genre thing is just a big, it's nothing to me. It's like, if I hear something in uh, the Firebird Suite by Stravinsky and it's a kind of a cadence or a harmony, I want to, I'll go and figure it out, you know? And it's no different than me in trying to figure out what's going on on Smokestack Lightning by Helen Wolf. Like mm -hmm. there's a contrapuntal little element to that. It's like, it's all the same to me, right? I love Nelson Riddle's arrangings for classic Sonata records. I love Duke Ellington, Arif Martin, Burt Backrack, Brian Wilson. I mean, and I love Gut Buck, you know, Stacks. I love unarranged stuff too. I love everything. I just inhale music. If I like it and I'm moved by it, it's compelling to me. I inhale it. So I have a lot of stuff, for better or worse, floating around in my DNA. Um, and I think that kind of, those are my arranging tools. So my brain, I'll just have certain conscious or even unconscious strategies of how to just step outside. Oh, all right, let me get back to my point. This Nelson Riddle book, it's sort of like you're, you're given the lyric and the melody, and the harmony's a little up for grabs, okay. and the rhythm's a little up for grabs. But you have to honor the melody, and you have to honor the lyric. So it's just like, how are you gonna bring this lyric? How are you gonna create some real feeling? How are you gonna retain the melody? Is there a cool way to reharmonize it that makes it surprising and 
more modern and gives it some deeper feeling. You can even ignore the original harmony and make the harmony static. I mean, there's so many strategies that you can do. So a lot of that, I just have an, a natural inclination to doing it. Uh, I won't say I'm good at it or not, but I, I think it's a facility I have is how to kind of pull apart harmony and structure and rhythm and sort of rethink about it. Um, and then another game I play in my head, like you point out Silver Wings is, well, what if Jimmy Webb did it in 1969, right? That, I mean, I love Jimmy Webb records, right? That's, it, right. that's what I was going to say. I was gonna, it right. sounded like Glenn Campbell. Right. Yeah. Well, so yeah. Merle has that, you know, the I think it's a D on Merle's record. But it starts. Right? So uh, some part of me is like, well, what if I just play that on the old Tic Tac bass? And, and right. oh, it's kind of like Wichita Lineman. So yeah. I just started thinking like, well, let me, let me just arrange this like I'm arranging Wichita Lineman or something like that. Like right. a great, classic, soulful 60s pop record. And, that, yeah. and it just kind of led from there, you know. That's how my mind works. Like, can you transplant that stuff in a way? Yeah. And it doesn't always work, but when it works, it can be a lot of fun. Yeah. So then you moved on to the river and the thread, and of yep. course these were all you know songs that uh, you and Roseanne collaborated on. Sure, they were uh, kind of you know autobiographical about uh, about the, the the region and yeah, somewhat order, not but not really. Sort of the thing we decided was, um, I mean, I think Roseanne. I hate to say she's written autobiographical songs because it really has a slightly diminishing quality. It's like. Roseanne is a deep artist, and she has used her journey, emotional journey. Oh, God, I hate these words I'm using. But she's used herself as a good source material for her songwriting. I mean, songwriting, when it's working, should transcend all that. But the one thought I had on this Southern album was to not do that, actually. I said, let's write songs, let's write songs about other people and other okay. people's stories. So a lot of those stories are actually not hers. She may be singing in the first person, but it's her imagining other people, people that we know, right. people that we've heard about, people that we've created. It's just a creative compilation of a lot of stuff. Like Edda's Tune. Edda's Tune. Well, Edda's Tune actually is inspired by Marshall Grant's wife, right. Edda. And because one of the, there was about five or six motivating things that got us to make in this record. One of them, sadly, was we were with Marshall Grant the night he died. He died unexpectedly. And Roseanne loved Marshall. And and he was a visceral connection to her early childhood, earliest memories. And um, and you know he was married for sixty years to the same woman. And you know if you just let your heart kind of go there, it's kind of moving. And he had a long life, and he did a lot of traveling, and he was away a lot. But somehow, they stayed in love. Now it's corny on one level, but on another level, it's kind of like heartbreakingly beautiful, right? And uh, particularly as you get older, you realize how hard that is to do. And um, and it was about Memphis and it was like that idea of like, he was so close to Memphis, but he's not gonna really get there, you know, and she knows it. So that was an inspiration for that. I mean, when we kept our antenna open when we were down there, it was unbelievable how all these things started coming to us, all these different ideas and stories. And that's what inspired it. And then once again, it was once again, it seemed like it really people were compelled by it. They liked the stories, you know. And it also uh, won a couple of Grammys. Three, in fact, yeah. yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty great, pretty great year, pretty great couple of years, yeah. yeah. 
And then uh, I guess later in the in, in the same year, you won the uh, Americana Instrument. They threw me a bone, I think. Yes, uh, they threw me a bone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. I was surprised. I was like, "Well, don't you give this to Buddy Miller every year? Why yeah. am I getting it?" Uh, yeah, what an honor. I mean, I I had no idea. You know, it's. I mean, I love the Americana format, and I like those people a lot. Jed Hilly and Buddy are all good, soulful people, and. I mean, people now all of a sudden refer to me as an Ameri- somehow Americana this, but, you know, I don't, I mean, yeah. I'm happy to be part of any, com- hey, any community wants me, I'm, I'm, I'm all right with it. But, uh, you know, man, it's like, I love everything. Like, where's William Bell, classic soul artist fit in, is he Americana? Well, yeah, he is Americana, yeah. I guess, but you know what I mean. It's so, all, it's all just music to me, man. Yeah. I just love music. So William Bell. So how did you end up hooking up with, with Bell to... Well, that's kind of a nice little thing. Uh, I just got a call from uh, somebody at his label, which is Concord, which owns Stacks now, the imprint, they've revived it. And he actually was the A&R guy who, who was A&Ring, who signed Sean Colvin to Columbia's pre-Sony to her first record deal and sort of said, okay, let this guy produce it. Then I haven't heard from him in 30 years. <laughs> I spoke to him a few times. But like it's so wild. 30 years later, it's like I'm walking down the street in San Francisco going to a sound check, and he's like, he's like, hey John, it's Joe. He's very, he's uh, very laconic, doesn't say much. I'm like, oh hey Joe. Want to produce William Bell? <laughs> like I was like, what? <laughs> now I love William Bell. Above all these music things that I love, I love soul music. And I really, really love the nexus of like country soul and soul ballads. And, you know, like William Bell is in some ways like, you know, the soul George Jones, like the ballad, you know, everybody loves a winner and you don't miss your water. That's 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 the depth of humanity to me. And um, and I forgot to be your lover. It's like one of my favorite R&B tracks of all time. And uh, I mean, I was excited. And uh, he, I was immediately, I mean, it was, this has never happened before. I was like, a lot of times people ask me about producing, particularly as I've gotten older and I have to think about it because, you know, it's, it's a commitment of time. And uh, as, I, uh, as I move on, I like to really be involved in the writing now. And that's the most fulfilling thing to me. I'm not as into, not that I won't do this, folks, but I'm not, I mean, I like, I like songwriting too. So if I can songwrite, it makes me happier. Why not? And why shouldn't I be happy, Zach? Why shouldn't I? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so my only caveat was I knew I wanted to do it, and I knew immediately what it should be. I mean, I can't explain it other than I got, I was like, William Bell, yes, it's going to be deep, soulful, it's going to be real lyrics, it's going to be lyrics of 75-year-old. I knew, I knew immediately, like, oh, we're not going to do some stacks rehash. And he, they, he sent me, and he said, I said, well, I really... I'd like to be involved in the writing. They didn't say I have to be. I'd like to be. He says, well, you know, they've got a bunch of songs they want to do. I said, okay, let me hear the songs. And I hated them because they were all this thing that I would never do, which is like, oh, they're trying to rewrite this song or they're trying to rewrite that. They were all mired in trying to recreate something that happened in 1964. Right. And that is not, it's just personally not interesting to me. And I also think, it kind of is a zero-sum approach to making a record. Like, well, you're not going to make it better than it was, so why would you bother to do that? So the trick is how, once again, how do you take that soul tradition, not only of Stacks, but to me of Muscle Shoals and Ameri- you know, Reggie Young and Chips Moam and all you know, black players, white players, even Motown and Chicago, Curtis, Mayfield, and 
you know, uh, a Gamble and Hoff. I mean, I love all these traditions or the New York tradition of, you know, uh, Atlantic Records with all those badass players, Jerry Jamat, Cornell Dupree, and Chuck Rainey. And uh, like, how do you take all that and just use it as a source of inspiration, but don't get bogged down in recreating what they did? How do you just take it and really pretend like you're in the middle of when it was all happening and try to do your own version of it? Back then, the great records, like, you know, when Dock of the Bay came out, it was great, not only because it was great, it was great, it's like you had never heard anything like it before, right? First time you heard Soulmate, it was like, I've never heard anything like that before. Right. So that to me is kind of, that's the product, that's like the record making part of me. It's like, I don't know if I always succeed, but that's the inspiration. It's like, I don't, you don't want to sound like somebody else. You want to figure out a way to do it that has a lot of personality, hopefully the right amount of eccentricity and soul and mystery and just so it, it can really live. And um, that was the goal with William. And luckily, um, I mean, I had to do a little bit of wooing. William's kind of a reserve guy and he hadn't really collaborated in close to 40 years, right? Um, and he hadn't had, I wanna say this in the totally most respectful way, he hadn't had anybody push him in a long time. And, you know, I'm pushy, but in a nice way. I mean, it's like, you know, um, and but it worked, it was amazing. And the minute, William started singing, it was like, oh my God, the first song we wrote was a song The Three of Me. I was couldn't be happier. It was probably the most joyful record I've ever made. Just like every day, I couldn't wait to work on it. I was so excited. I really was. I mean, I've told a couple of people this, but in a way, the first music, particularly in New York, if you were gonna work, like I mentioned that thing with Billy Vera, and the first gigs I did when I was in my 20s, when I was a real working guitar player, you know, the currency was R&B and soul. Mm -hmm. That's, you played for people to dance and what people really wanted to dance to in the 70s was R&B and soul. And New York was kind of a center for that then too. I mean, there was a lot of great R&B and soul being made in New York and there was a tradition of great New York session players. Like I later became really friendly with Hugh McCracken and Cornell Dupree was sort of the premier R&B guitar player and he played locally all the time and I used to go see him and Chuck Rainey was in town. I mean, all those guys were there. And um, that was the currency and you had to have that together. Like, and, and you had to get, you know, there were some decent players in New York as there are here and you know, you had to be able to play some R&B, which means understanding parts, understanding minimalism, understanding all the very, you know, able to play rhythmically or all the like you know the first time I heard Cornell do this you know all that stuff like I just inhaled that you know Cornell's famous so that was definitely part of the New York thing and I love all that stuff and then I always loved it, I always played it and listened to it, but I didn't make any records with that kind of language. So this feels like a real full circle, full circle to me. In a lot of ways, this is a lot closer to who I am than the singer-songwriter stuff. I mean, I'm someone who wants to get up there and get a groove going and, and play that deep soul ballad thing and that's not beholden to what's on the radio or what's hip or like somebody's, you know, it's just real. You know, that's the music I love, you know. Well, what is, uh, so what's up next? 
Oh God, I don't know. It's kind of a wacky year. Committed to uh, committed to a theatrical project with my wife. Uh, I don't know if I'm quite at liberty to go into detail. We committed to writing music for a Broadway musical. Okay. Which uh, <laughs> all I can say is it's a lot of time and a lot of work. Um, and hopefully I'll get through that. And then I have. Uh, there's like three or four records I can do after that. And at some point, uh, I've been asked about three or four records. And I have to figure out which ones to do. And at some point, I want to make my own record, some wacky, weird record with a lot of my friends and particularly my songwriting collaborators and singers. And I, I, I can't sing worth a damn, so uh, I would need help. Um, but I have some ideas. So I'm, I have a lot of stuff I want to do. But this year, I've kind of fallen off the radar and because I'm committed to writing this music for this play. Uh, Roseanne and I still do a fair amount of gigs. We, you know, we do about 50 dates a year, and uh, so that, that takes up time. And I mean, there's always one-off. I mean, there's always a gazillion one-off projects and stuff. And this thing with William is like taken up this month, basically. Yeah. Right. Let's take a break. All right. And we'll uh, talk more about uh, guitars. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be the fun part. This has been an audio presentation by TrueTone, truetone.com.